We've all seen footage of Bruce Lee, but how well do you know his story? Filmmaker Bao Win explores the man behind the icon in the film Be Water. I'm Tom Powers, and this is Pure Nonfiction. Ten years ago, Bao Win was my student at the School of Visual Arts in the MFA program for social documentary. He was a standout among many talented classmates. He went on to direct the documentary Live from New York on the history of Saturday Night Live that was selected to open the Tribeca Film Festival in 2015. Bao's new film, Be Water, tells the story of Bruce Lee through interviews with people who knew him best, including his wife, Linda, and his friend, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. My last name is Lee, Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee himself was earth-shattering, respected, envied, even worshipped. He had big dreams, big aspirations. He knew he had something to share. America was not ready for an Asian hero. He was rejected. He had to show them that an Asian could be a leading man. His very presence on screen is a protest. People starting to react against the racism of the West. He was trying to make the kind of films he wanted to make. There were going to be people that would attack him. You still think of yourself Chinese, or do you ever think of yourself as North American? You know what I want to think of myself? As a human being. I remember what it was like to be loved by him. His philosophy was one of self-actualization. He felt that everybody in the world might have a little bit to contribute to the canon of martial arts. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now water can flow, or it can crash. Be water, my friend. We think of Bruce Lee as a star, but the film shows how he struggled in Hollywood when there was no place for an Asian American as anything but a sidekick. He had to go to Hong Kong to create the work that made him an international sensation before his untimely death at age 32. Bao has his own experience bridging the East and the West. His parents are Vietnamese refugees, and Bao was born in the United States. He reflects on his dual identity in his short film called Where Are You Really From? On a regular basis, I would be asked the question, where are you really from? Seven years ago, I moved to Saigon, Vietnam. I had to stop myself from saying I moved back because technically I was born in the U.S., so I'm not returning to anything. Today, Bao is living in Los Angeles, where I reached him by Zoom in December. It's been nearly a year since Be Water premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. The film was released on ESPN in June against the backdrop of mass street protests for Black Lives Matter. I've had past opportunities to hear Bao talk about his childhood. It gave me a deeper understanding of what he brings to the story of Bruce Lee. So I started by asking him to share a little of his own family history. I was born in the U.S., but my parents came over to America um, in the late 70s. They were um, living in, in Vietnam at the end of the war. Uh, my dad was an officer in the Vietnamese army. Um, they didn't make it with the first wave in 1975, uh, but they came sort of the sec second wave of boat people in the late 70s. My dad, before he uh, before they left, was in a re-education camp actually for six months. So that was 
one of the reasons he wanted to get out of the country with my mom and my older sister, who was six months old at the time. And so they went out um, after six attempts at trying to leave Vietnam by boat. Uh, on their seventh attempt, they finally got to leave the shores and they were out um, on a boat for two weeks, not knowing where they were gonna go. And they landed on the shores of Hong Kong and they were in a refugee camp for six months in Hong Kong and then sponsored to come over to America after that. And um, I was born um, a couple years later. Uh, so that's sort of my uh, refugee story. A very uh, dramatic story. And uh, I remember you described to me that uh, your parents had a uh, fabric store on the on the East Coast. Uh, am I right? And you kind of grew up around that. Can you give me just a little sense of uh, of what that upbringing was like? Uh, sure. Um, I mean, looking back at it now and talking about it, it's 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 basically child labor that they were putting me through. <laughs> uh, I was I was five years old when my parents had me work in in you know their fabric shop that they opened. Um, it was you know at the time I didn't. Uh, I was just like, okay, whatever my parents want me to do. Um, and unbeknownst to me, it really sort of sparked my interest in visual arts, visual storytelling, because um, as, as a five-year-old um, working at a store for eight hours a day, every weekend, I, didn't, I needed some sort of stimuli. And uh, this was before the time of iPads or, or, you know, my parents didn't really give me any toys to play with. So I had was the back of these um, fabric invoices. My, my sister, who was uh, 10 at the time, she was the one cutting the fabric. And so she would cut it, write up an invoice and, and the customers would give it to me. And uh, at the time they thought I was just some cute little Asian boy that was just playing behind a cash register. But I, I would snap the, the, the invoice from them and I would bring them up really quickly. And they were, they were quite amazed um, by, I guess my, uh, uh, work ethic to say the least and um, but those those sheets of paper were the only things that kind of kept me entertained through you know uh, hours on end of, of not having anything so I would take the the blank side of those pieces of paper and I would sketch and draw stories and scenes all day and I mean looking back at it now I was I was basically storyboarding so my parents forced child labor really um, played a big role in me wanting to become a, a visual artist a, a filmmaker eventually well, uh, let me ask in your uh, growing up, when did Bruce Lee first become a, a, a presence to you? Well, I was born um, in, in the mid eighties. Uh, so he had passed away, you know, a decade earlier. So I wasn't watching Green Hornet or watching his films when they were out in theaters. Um, I, I recall seeing Enter the Dragon, you know, on a Saturday afternoon as part of, you know, a, a a double feature of Kung Fu films, right? That you get on, on certain channels. And um, at that time, uh, I, I'd watched some films that had Asian, Asian American characters. The one, the one that I recall the most was um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And there's this character Short Round, right? And he had a very thick accent and he was sort of the comic relief and the sidekick to Indiana Jones. And I always wanted to be Indiana Jones because he was a hero um, and then, but the sidekick was the one that looked like me. So when I saw Enter the Dragon, I saw someone, you know, who looked at, looked like me, relatively speaking, um, being the hero, playing the lead of, of his own story. And that 
um, was sort of uh, was uh, an eye-opening moment to say the least because um, it was the first time I I saw my reflection uh, right in 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 the screen on screen and it really made me understand that I could be something more than what I've been told I could be for so long. When you did uh, go into film, um, I wonder what your hardworking immigrant parents thought of that. Um, I mean, I'm still sort of convincing them in some ways uh, <laughs> what I'm doing. I uh, It's funny because like when I had Live from New York come out, um, was opened the Tribeca Film Festival, as you mentioned earlier, it was, I mean, for people who have been to the opening of Tribeca, it's, it's, it's a big affair, right? It's at the Beacon Theater and there's like, you know, 4,000 seats. And um, I, I wanted my parents to see that as sort of my introduction to, to my career because it doesn't really get better than that, right? Um, uh, so my, I flew my parents, my parents were living in Vietnam at the time and I flew them over. And, uh, you know, a lot of these opening are like gala openings. So the ticket prices are quite high, but, uh, you know, Tribeca is uh, kind enough to, to give my parents tickets. Um, but my mom being sort of the uh, entrepreneurial hustler that she is, she saw like, you know, the tickets are like $200. And then she started counting like how many people were in the theater. It's like 4,000 times 200. She's like, wow, Bao's going to be rich tonight. Um, and, <laughs> and so that was, that. it was sort of a high bar for me for the rest of my career to kind of clear that the, you know, I didn't want to tell my mom that's not how the business works. I wish it worked that way. Um, but, you know, a few years later, my mom, I interviewed my mom for this short film that I did about my parents' journey. And my mom asked me, oh, when are you going to make a feature film about my story? And I, I think that's sort of a, a benchmark to say that maybe they're finally proud of, of, of what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. So the Bruce Lee film, how did that come to you or how did you go after it? Um, well, it, you know, after Live from New York came out, uh, I was like approached um, asking what I wanted to do next. And um, I think with this film, with Be Water and with Live from New York, it, they're examples of sort of like looking at cultural institutions, icons, American icons in a, in a slightly different lens. And, you know, having grown up watching SNL, watching Bruce Lee, um, and having seen documentaries made on these subjects before, I felt that um, me as a filmmaker, especially with a filmmaker with a slightly different, unique kind of upbringing to America, I could lend a, a reshaping of certain narratives, certain mythologies of America that I think would add value to, to the stories that might have already existed for a long time and, and topics that people feel familiar with and and have a connection with, but again, having it through a more personal lens. And at that time, you know, 2015, there were really great documentaries about like Amy Winehouse and like Marlon Brando and, and, and Listen to Me Marlon. And it was just like taking these larger than life figures and really looking at them on a, a intimate, uh, personal and humanistic level. And I kept on thinking about like, who would I want to approach in the same vein as that? Like what icon? who I feel hasn't had that sort of treatment in their story. And, and Bruce Lee stood out um, for many reasons, as I mentioned earlier, was, he was in sort of his symbol of representation was important to me, but I also thought, um, you know, he hasn't been 
uh, framed really, in my opinion, as an Asian American. He's, he's always been framed as Bruce Lee is Bruce Lee, like transcends the idea of being Asian American. And, and, you know, he professed that he didn't want to be viewed as, as North American or as Chinese, but I think, you know, being uh, Asian male in 1960s Hollywood, uh, those identities were imposed on him too. So I, I felt like I wanted to do a film that, that views him in that perspective, but also views him in the context of the time that he was, he was becoming Bruce Lee. Because I think it was really important to understand the struggles and, you know, the prejudice that he went through at that time. Um, because we all, I mean, not all of us, but there is assumption, there's a myth that Bruce Lee was just, he just broke out into Hollywood and he was a great big star immediately without much struggle. So I, I, again, I wanted to sort of unpack that myth. Well, so you referenced uh, the Amy documentary and uh, Listen to Me, Marlon. Um, both of those films uh, used a technique of, uh, of audio interviews that allow the audience to kind of stay in the 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 moment which those figures were were living through through the visuals as opposed to uh, bringing in a, a speaker who's now much older than the time that uh, that you're talking about. So that that's a technique that um, that you employ to great effect in uh, in Be Water. Um, I wonder when you were, you know, setting out with your list of people that you wanted to uh, interview, um, you know, who were you especially happy to to get for this project? For me, it was just having done the research about like the films that have been made before about Bruce Lee. Um, I knew I wanted to set myself apart as having a more personal perspective. Um, so talking to the people who knew him most intimately, right, and and not having someone who's been impacted by him, by his legacy. You know, there's uh, the most previous documentary that was done about Bruce Lee, they had like Ed O'Neill talking about Bruce Lee, like Al Bundy. I was like, what do I need to learn about Bruce Lee through Al Bundy? Um, no offense to Al Bundy or um, that documentary, but I knew, I again, I wanted to take a more personal lens and um, that um, talking to people, obviously who knew him, close like his, his widow Linda and his daughter Shannon, but also kind of finding the cross-pollination between his stories and his networks and, and uh, his brother um, uh, Robert is in the film. And, you know, Robert doesn't speak about Bruce very often, especially in projects that um, are, are English language. Um, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is someone who People, you know, it's a well-known fact that he had a deep friendship with Bruce Lee, but he hasn't been in a documentary about Bruce Lee in decades. And so I, I wanted to make sure that those stories were told, um, but also people who aren't so famous. Uh, I think one of my favorite interviews in the film is with Amy Sanbo, who's Bruce Lee's, you know, first um, love in America, a Japanese-American woman who uh, was in an internment camp. And she really taught Bruce about the idea of being not just American or Asian, but what it meant to be Asian American. And I think, you know, an immigrant coming to America in the 1960s, that's sort of a revolutionary idea, I would say. And, and so that, I think that was really informative to who he became later on. And so, yeah, the, those, I, those the people that I spoke to could share with me intimate stories or um, the spirit of Bruce Lee. I mean, you try to, I, I tried to, 
asked people, can you remember like when you had lunch with him 40 years ago, right? And I, I, uh, I have to be um, fair to them and say, okay, well, I know you won't remember that story, but you can remember what the spirit of Bruce was and his personality and, and you know, his hopes and dreams and things like that, what he talked about. Uh, and, you know, when someone comes to a documentary about Bruce Lee, they, uh, you know, undoubtedly have a certain set of expectations about what they're going to see, you know, favorite film clips or um, uh, that sort of thing. And, um, and I wonder how you were thinking about that, about what you were going to be delivering visually in this film. Well, for me, I wanted to, to make it as personal as possible. And what, you know, it's great about those films that I mentioned, like Listen to Me, Marlon and Amy is like so much of the voice of that person is in the film, right? And um, we didn't have that luxury though. We didn't have like a treasure trove of home video like with Amy and we didn't have 400 hours of, of like Marlon Brando speaking into a tape recorder. I wish I had that in Bruce Lee. It'd be amazing. Um, so we really, I, I really decided um, at first to like go through every piece of audio, piece of audio visual where he's actually speaking. It's his voice and, and see how much of the spirit of him we can bring through those existing materials. And um, that would be sort of the bones of, of the film. And then the interviews where we talk to everyone else are sort of the, the meat that we build the body of the film around. Um, yeah, but unfortunately the bones were very scarce. Um, and it's, you know, it shows that this is a man who, who died before he really became big. So there wasn't that sort of sense of like having a personal archive. I mean, I should say his archive was less audio visual and it was more sort of in writing. He wrote a lot and I knew I wanted to include those writings in the film to, to be part of the, his DNA and his voice. And, and that's how the idea of having his um, daughter, Shannon, read those letters um, and, and, you know, poems and all his writings came about. Uh, am I right in thinking that you traveled to Hong Kong in the course of making this film to, to do some of the interviews there? Yeah, I, I wanted to, you know, trace back all of Bruce Lee's steps and like, again, immerse myself in his world as much as possible. So that meant going to every city that he lived in. And that meant spending a lot of time in Hong Kong. I think, um, again, like a lot of past documentaries have like focused on the American side or if, if it's a Chinese language documentary, it's focused on the Chinese side. And I think we all, you know, each country wants to take ownership over Bruce Lee. But I think he's very much uh, a man of two worlds, right? Of East and West. And I think it's, that was an important part of the story. Um, and so, yeah, going to Hong Kong was a, was a great honor and just um, um, talking to the people who knew him and, and going, you know, the Hong Kong Film Archives is a really amazing resource of, of film history and film preservation that uh, I, I wish I could go back right now and just watch all these movies again. But it was, yeah, it was very um, humbling to, to, to kind of walk through his shoes in Hong Kong. I mean, I wonder when you were in Hong Kong and doing interviews with people there, if you got a different feeling for Bruce Lee than when you're doing interviews with people who knew him in the United States. 
Yeah, it's funny. I think people in Hong Kong were much more open to talking about him um, without any sort of hesitation. Um, they, I mean, they, I should say like, you know, his second, he, he had these sort of different time periods where he was in Hong Kong, right? The first time period was when he was six months old to 18. And that was like his sort of child actor years. And then in, you know, the uh, early 70s, 71 to 73 is when he made his return. And so that's when he was a superstar. And it was hard finding people who had that overlap, who were part of his world for both periods in, in his life. And, and so it was either someone who was a childhood friend or there was someone who was part of his like sort of Hong Kong film entourage. Um, but it, it's, I, I always ask the question of like, did you feel like Bruce Lee was more American or Chinese? And like everyone, I mean, most people in Hong Kong said they felt he was more American. And then people in America said he felt more Chinese. Uh, so, you know, that perspective is interesting. I'm curious when when you watch the film today, if there's a scene or a sequence that you feel especially proud of because you know how complicated it was to put it together, or you worked on it for a long time and you know, took a while to to get it right. Or uh, is there a scene like that in the film? Yeah, I mean, there there's uh, several scenes, but I think one that stands out to me is like the scene where we intercut like Bruce Lee's fight with Chuck Norris with Muhammad Ali's fight, um, and uh, I, I I think I was fortunate enough to think of these scenes as like action scenes, right? They're set pieces in a way, and I was like, oh, I get to actually make like an action scene in a documentary, uh, which is right. which is fun. I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of great documentaries that have that that feeling as well. But you know, to make sort of a all archival film with uh, action sequence in between, with sort of this grand orchestral type of music, and and being able to intercut between Muhammad Ali and Bruce Lee, it's sort of a fun exercise in filmmaking for sure. Um, so, as the film has been playing for the last ten months for film festivals and on ESPN and uh, in screenings uh, like uh, this one. Um, what are the reactions that uh, you've gotten that have meant the most to you? Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's been a strange year to, to show the film, but I, I'm really grateful of, of the audience reaction because um, for me, the most surprising one was, especially like once the film broadcast on ESPN in June, um, how many uh, families uh, multi-generational families or uh, like grandfathers would watch it with their granddaughters and their their sons right and you know three generations would watch the film and, and talk about like what Bruce Lee meant to them uh, personally and then what they learned from watching the film together. I never thought I would make family films <laughs> but I'm pleasantly surprised about that sort of reaction. The idea like that the story of Bruce Lee can really connect different generations, especially, you know, um, in households where people have been stuck at home together uh, with, with their family members. And this film was, was a way for them to connect um, uh, as a family. And, and so that was really gratifying. And um, I think, uh, especially with, with, there's a lot, of, there's been a lot of people who told me like, 
you know, I always saw my dad watching Bruce Lee films and he was always so excited, especially among Asian, Asian American families, because I think, you know, the idea of seeing Bruce Lee um, to uh, a parent, a dad now is sort of a similar feeling that I, when I described my first time watching Bruce Lee, and it's like the sense of empowerment and agency that you get seeing yourself reflected on screen, right? The, 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 the real idea of why representation matters. And so, um, you know, people younger than me would say, yeah, I, I finally talked to my dad and, you know, and he opened up more about like feeling uh, disenfranchised or mis you know underrepresented when he came to America, but when he saw Bruce Lee, he felt empowered. And I think those conversations we don't typically have with our family members because there isn't sort of a starting point for that. And and I'm, I'm again, I'm really grateful that the film had that um, way to connect people. And another uh, thing is just um, the film, as I mentioned, came out in early June, and it was the end of May when um, the really you know brutal murder of George Floyd happened and there was the the, the racial reckoning the much needed racial reckoning of America started to happen and, and protests were going on all over the country and um you know I'm, I I I'm based in downtown LA and that's at the time where a lot of the protests were happening and so I would be promoting the film um and talking about the film while there was these protests happening and it was it was a strange time for me to be talking about Bruce Lee and B. Water when, when I felt like there were so many more important topics to talk about. Um, but I got a lot of messages from like activists um, who, uh, who were, you know, on the front lines and protesting and they were like, it was such an inspirational um, break for us to watch B. Water and it reinvigorated us in terms of like, you know, being authentically ourselves and also like re-examining the sort of the, the, the lie, no, I shouldn't say lie sincerely, but sort of the, the horrific past and treatment of, of marginalized communities by America, not just um, by individuals, but systematically. And, and so it, it was really heartwarming to say, you know, to, to hear those messages when people were saying like, you know, COVID was such a grieving period and George Floyd was such a moment of anger, of, of legitimate anger. And, and watching Be Water was this break and, and, and linkage in a way. Because um, I think also the film, um, given sort of the anti-Asian rhetoric that's been going on because of the pandemic and because of the outgoing administration's labeling of like the Kung flu or China virus, there's been a lot of um, sort of uh, negative feelings and sentiment among the Asian American community and, and a lot of feeling like, do we belong in America? Or, or we've been sort of harassed that way. And, and, and reframing the American story and just showing like Bruce Lee as an American story and not, not having to be Bruce Lee waving a flag, but just Bruce Lee being an American immigrant is very, for us, it, for myself, it really epitomizes like what I think is the best part of America, the idea that you can come from another place and you can bring the best of your culture and it becomes the best of American culture and the best of American ideals. And um, I, I, I received a lot of messages from people about that, how it re reaffirmed their, their stance that I'm American as well, even though I might not necessarily look like most or some Americans. Um, as I wind this up, I wanna uh, ask you about um, 
you know, what opportunities you uh, see for telling Asian American stories uh, today. You've had this wonderful opportunity to tell the story of Bruce Lee, but I suppose if we were to make a list of what Asian American stories were most likely to get out in the world, Bruce Lee would probably be at the top of it, um, near the top of it anyways. And, you know, and I'm wondering, you know, what you see is, is, is you think about other stories that you would like to tell, um, what opportunities you see, what challenges you see, what doors op are opening, what doors are closed? Yeah, um, so I think in terms of like the future of representation, especially with Asian American communities, um, there's, there's, you know, one of my favorite poets is a Vietnamese American poet, Ocean Vuong. He talks about um, how, you know, after his first book of poems was published and did very well, his publisher recommended that he, he did a memoir next, right? Because like as a, as a BIPOC artist, you know, the sort of mainstream community culture, they want, they want to hear your kind of trauma and your, your, your past and your history in, in sort of a packaged, uh, comfortable way. And um, so like Ocean responded, he's like, you know, we as, as BIPOC artists are always expected to be like tour guides into our world, into our trauma, but we're not entrusted to be world builders. We're not entrusted to be artisans and craftspeople into building new worlds. And I think that's so, something really, um, you know, resonated with me because uh, I think there's an expectation that, you know, we can only tell our, our stories and we can guide people through, educate sort of like the masses about our traumas. But once it comes to like building a new story, a modern story, uh, a different story, um, it, I think a lot of BIPOC um, artists aren't given that same um, room for potential that, you know, uh, to be completely frank, a white artist would be given. Um, but I think not just kind of holding us um, uh, to account of our, our experience, but also our potential, right? Um, lived experience is so important, but lived experience also helps us build and expand our potential for, for creating better stories, better worlds, more diverse and unique worlds. And I think having these uncomfortable conversations are just ways to make better art. And I think we would, everyone in our industry uh, should be striving for that. I wanna thank Bao Win for speaking with me. His new film, Be Water, is now playing on ESPN+. This interview was originally recorded for Doc NYC. You can watch it on video, along with dozens of other filmmaker conversations, on the Facebook page for Doc NYC Fest. Thanks to our team, series producer Hannah Nordenswan and web designer Cross Strategy. Our theme music is composed by Andre Williams, and our executive producer is Raphael Anehausen. I'm Tom Powers. You can follow me on Twitter at THOM Powers. You can read our show notes and sign up for our newsletter at pure 
nonfiction.net.